Let's turn to the book of Mark, chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 34 and 30, um, 34 and 35. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. We miss you, Pastor, if you're watching. Me most than anybody else. <laughs> you finally got me out of my jeans and Crocs, Pastor, so here I am. <laughs> So if you're visiting, Pastor, as you probably heard, he's out sick, so come back next week, okay, so that you can hear um, his teaching. His pastor is awesome, and uh, we love you, Pastor, and uh, I know you're praying. So Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will call, come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit of God, we're here this morning because we love you. We're here because, Lord, we always need encouragement. Father, we, we need you daily. Holy Spirit, I know that... Uh, God, you said you will use the weak. Father, and I am nothing but rags, Father, filthy rags, but it, if it's your will, I pray, God, that you will use today, Father, for your own living glory. Help me, Lord. I, uh, I'm not worthy, Father, but a pastor, a pastor is a sick pastor. So we pray for him, Lord. We pray for, for our dear pastor, Lord, that you will heal him. Bring him back to us soon, Lord Jesus. Thank you for keeping him. Uh, Christy and Elsie, Lord, from the illness, Lord, and thank you that they're fine, Lord Jesus. Just bless this time, Father. I just pray that as we walk out of this building, it will not just be another day. Please, God. People are hurting. We heard that before, Lord. There's people that are hurting, people that are going through many trials. Lord, open our eyes spiritually to see that, Father. Please help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, most of us have heard this passage of Scripture before. And when Jesus talks about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But before we do, I believe that we ought to realize two things about Jesus. First, the startling honesty of Jesus. Because Jesus never tried to bribe us, bribe us and offer an easy life. He never did. I'll share the second thing in a few minutes. First, I would like to read an email, part of an email, that from a missionary, Daniel, who is in Papua. I call it Papua. It might be Papua New Guinea, but I call it Papua. And Papua is a province in Indonesia and was formerly called Irian Haya. It comprised the entire western New Guinea until the inauguration of the province of West Papua. Now, Daniel worked for several years with the, in that area with the missionary uh, aviation team. But now he has just transferred and he started working now with the, in the same area, but now he was with the helicopter missionary team. Now, with the helicopter missionary team, he will be able to fly the helicopters into areas where fixed-wing planes will not be able or will be unable to go. This will be a very rough and dangerous area. And many missionaries are in that situation. So, Pastor, that's why he always reminds us, we must pray for missionaries daily Right? They risk their lives for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So please let us remember them in our prayers. If you go out in the foyer, you're going to see a map of the world, and you're going to find a lot of names of missionaries and where they are. Take a couple of names. 
Pray for them daily. Pray for them weekly. Well, part of, uh, of what the, this uh, missionary wrote to his sending church said, Dear friends in Christ, greetings in the name of our Lord, our Lord from Papua. Please know that you are all loved and very much appreciated. Sorry for the delay in getting this first report out. I find I'm spending more time away from home with the helicopter mission than I did when I was with the uh, airplane aviation mission. This was his first ministry, if you remember, when he was with the aviation ministry. Well, it was my first day on the job, and we hit the ground running. Hans, our mechanic from Switzerland, and I were invited by this young evangelist to show the Jesus film in a village called Kurima. Now, this is the district whose people performed some of the worst atrocities back in October of 2000 during the riots. To be able to give my testimony and show the Jesus film in a village of murderers, thieves, and plunderers was quite an opportunity. How could I say no? We did not fly directly there, but we took a car from Wamina, from Wamina until where the first bridge is out, and then walk another hour over the trail to reach Kurima. The evangelists had arranged for some carriers to help us hold the equipment we were carrying through the streams and over the trail. It was hard going, but we got there. We did not save, we did not have, I'm sorry, as large turnout as we have hoped. But there were over 200 people, and we were sure it was whom God wanted there, and seeds were planted. It rained during the second half of the film, so we sat under umbrellas and tarp to protect the equipment, while the crowd moved to the porch of the local government office and watched the reverse side of the blanket or screen we were projecting to. It was also interesting that while we were watching the film, some of the Islamic members of the local military unit held some sort of assembly about 250 feet away. I'm sure our speakers could be heard there by them as well. We had not planned on spending the night, but because of the rain, we did. The evangelist had a friend who allowed us to sleep on the straw floor of his kitchen next to a hole in the ground with a fire. It was quite nice. The next day on the hike over the trail home, the streams were quite high because of the previous night's rain. At one spot, I let one of the local soldiers, assisted by some of the village boys, carry my motorbike across the largest stream and up the steep bank on the far side. We later learned that the half-broken-down bridge that we used to cross there was completely washed away a few hours later after we had crossed. Thank you, Father. Well, there was more in his email, but I think that this missionary and many more other missionaries have come to understand what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it's not an easy road. And Jesus never sought to lure people to him by the offer of an easy way. He never does that. So if you're thinking that your life will get easier when you became a Christian, you were wrong or somebody lied to you. You remember in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58, and he said, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest, whatever you will go. What did Jesus tell him? In verse 58, Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nets, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And you know, I think what Jesus is telling me, I don't have a home. I don't have a home. So we can conclude that our Lord Jesus was pretty much homeless 
while, while he was doing his ministry on this earth. It was not an easy for him, from a humanly speaking, uh, humanly speaking, it was not easy for our Lord. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but in the early days of World War II, when Winston Churchill took over the leadership of England, all that he offered his people was blood, sweat, and tears. And that is pretty much what Jesus is offering his followers as well. Blood, sweat, and tears. Secondly, Jesus never called upon us to do anything that he was not prepared to do himself. What he asked us to face, he has already faced. And when he called upon us to take up a cross, he himself has already borne one for us, for you and for me. And you know what? That goes against what the world teaches, right? Because the world teaches us that anything that bothers us, anything that is difficult, avoid it. That's what the world teaches. And sadly, some churches have seemed to adopt that attitude as well. And we saw that especially during the so-called pandemic, right? What the churches do? They close their doors. They have no services at all for months. Thank God some of the churches, including ours, remain open. Pastor held daily virtual communication with all of us, if you remember. Then right away, he started doing virtual services Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday night, right until we were able to congregate, congregate once again. We started outside, if you remember, then we moved back in. Thank God for a shepherd the Lord gave us during this time, and knew better, that he knew better than to take the easy road. Thank God for Pastor. But the world, wants, the world wants us to avoid anything that's difficult, right? And yet the words of Jesus are still there. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What did he mean? What does he mean to take up or bear a cross? Well, what does the Bible teach us about cross-bearing? Well, number one, cross-bearing is always voluntary. Number one, cross-bearing is always voluntary. The Bible tells us that cross-bearing is voluntary. Jesus calls us. And he challenges, but it's our decision, it's your decision, and it's my decision. Taking up a cross and following Jesus is voluntary. And I pray, I pray that everyone that is here today, I pray that you're here today because, not because someone pressured you to be here. I pray that you're here because you want to be with God's people, and you want to learn more about his word, and because you love the Lord Jesus Christ for what he did for you. And please, please make sure your motivation is aligned correctly. Because if it is not, if you're not here because you love the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to end up good. Because you know what will happen? The minute the men will fail, the minute the leaders will fail, you'll fail too. You'll go down with them. And sometimes, you know, I'm afraid that we generally are careless, a little bit careless when we talk about our cross-bearing. For example, suppose that I go to the doctor and after extensive testing, he tells me, Mr. Cortez, I'm sorry, but you have diabetes and you'll have to deal with that the rest of your life. Now, that might be a burden that I must bear, but it's not a cross that I have taken up for Jesus. So I can't go around telling others, oh, well, that's my cross to bear. I have diabetes. Why? Because I didn't volunteer for it. Or if an earthquake sweeps through this area, God help us, right? But in our area and destroys my home, I can call it a cross that I have to bear for Jesus because I didn't volunteer for that either. I wasn't, it wasn't something that I choose to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if I talk about, if I talk about bearing a cross, that means that I will voluntarily be taking up that cross for the Lord Jesus. I'm going to enlist. I'm going to offer myself in some way to serve the Lord Jesus Cross-bearing is voluntary. And a question for us, a good question for you and a good question for me will be, 
What cross have we taken up voluntarily in the name of our Lord and for his service? It's a good question for us. Number two, cross-bearing is an act of love. Cross-bearing is an act of love. It's not an accident that happens to us or is something, something unavoidable that we must face. Cross-bearing is an act of love that we must choose to do. It is a task that we undertake, a price that we pay out of love for him. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that we're, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we're motivated to serve. It says there that we should go, we should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Anything we do to serve God in our church must be for Him. Must be for Him. Remember, when there is teaching a class, giving out gospel tracts, leading music, helping a brother or a sister in any capacity, cleaning up the church, working in the sound room, we do it all for Him. Never for a man or to be seen. Never expecting a reward here on this earth. So at the end of the year, a pastor doesn't say, hey, thank you very much, good job. I'll be happy with that because, honestly, I love pastor, but I'd rather hear from my Lord and my God and receive the reward from me than pastor. Not that I don't love you, pastor, but you understand. <laughs> right? So, for Jesus, he meant going to the cross to die because he loved us so much. He could do nothing else. It means reaching out to people who are unlovable and unlovely and who may never return the love to you. And yet, we're to, call it, we're to keep loving because Jesus, that's what he did. That's what the Lord Jesus did. Now, if you want to see a description of what it means to carry a cross, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 4. But as we read, as I'm reading, I'm going to change the word love for the words Crossbearer in his place, crossbearer. First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Again, I'll replace the word love for the words crossbearer. Cross a crossbearer suffered long and is kind. A crossbearer envieth not. A crossbearer vaunted not itself, meaning it does not boast. A crossbearer is not puffed up, is not arrogant or rude. A crossbearer do not behave itself unseemly, seeking not her own or his own. A crossbearer is not easily provoked, is not easily angered. A crossbearer thinketh not evil. A crossbearer rejoiceth not in iniquity, not in evil, but rejoiceth in the truth. A crossbearer there all things, always protects. Believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, always perseveres. Now, there's a story that was penciled by a Christian writer. And in, in that story, he wrote about his father, who was a missionary to India. Now, this happened in the early 1900s. For years, this missionary, he saw no converts. And this was due primarily to the Hindu priests of that village who warned his people, the people of the village, if that they, if they were to listen to the Christians, he said, your cattle is going to die. Your cattle will die. Now, Sure enough, the cattle of those who went to the Christian church died, but only because the Hindu priest was poisoning them. So as a result, almost no one will listen to the gospel of Christ. So this poor missionary, at times, he doubted the call that he had for this place, for this area. So following the first world, this is the way that God works. 
God works in ways that we never think of. But following the First World War, a terrible flu epidemic to the lives of thousands in India. Thousands. People live in isolation, and many die from dehydration. And then the writer then related that his parents, they came up with an idea. You know what we're going to do? We're going to cook a huge vat, V-A-T, of soup. A vat is a huge tank or a huge tub of soup. So anyway, they prepared this soup and they went around taking buckets, buckets of this soup to the afflicted, those that were sick in the neighborhood. And when the wife of the Hindu priest became ill, the missionary compassionately ministered to her, to her with his wife, but she also died sadly. Then the Hindu priest himself became ill. And again, the missionary and his wife, they brought soup, they tempted to him, they, they uh, attended to him, they assisted him. And you know, something very interesting happened. Before the Hindu priest died, he called the missionary and said, I want to talk to you. And he said, you know what? All my life I have served these people, but now I'm hurting and dying, and no one comes to help me except for Christians. I don't want my daughter to grow up to be a Hindu. So the missionary and his wife adopted a baby girl, and when this story was written, the daughter was 81 years old, a grandmother with a large family of Christians in that area. This because the Indian people saw the deeds of mercy to people who had persecuted Christians for years. This mission became a thriving work after that. That is what cross-bearing means. It means taking the love of God to the very ends of the world for us, the streets of Vacaville, Fairfield, Vixen, whatever we might be, our neighborhood, school, work, to touch lives of people who are unlovable. Let's be realistic, right? It means denying, sacrificing. It means paying the price regardless of the hardships we must endure. How are we doing in this area? Do we have love for people? When was the last time you shared with someone the love of Christ? The last time you went out of your way to share the love Christ, the, the love Christ has filled your heart, with, your heart with. We have a prayer list here. We have people that are not here, people that are hurting. And you know, sometimes you get the prompt of the Holy Spirit and that person comes to your mind. Call them. Let them know that you're praying for them. Encourage them. I think of Brother Doug Mayer. We haven't seen Brother Doug in years because he has a serial illness. I think of Brother Doyle. So many. Suzanne Versa, she's struggling because she has a shoulder that is hurting her. Pray for them. Call them. Bake some cookies. Tempting cookies. Something. Beloved, let us love one another. And if we are the children of God, we should be loving one another. So share the love that Christ has filled your heart with, with others. We need to be careful that our Christianity doesn't become a private Christianity. I go to church, I read my Bible, put money on the plate, I pray, I'm good. Christians, we know that God places us here on this earth for his pleasure, but he also places us here to serve him. We are his messengers. We are the trigger of his will. And you know, he's going to accomplish his will one way or the other if we miss those opportunities, those blessings, because it is a blessing to serve God. If you don't know that yet, it is a blessing. You know what? He will lose you, somebody else. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to lose out. We're going to lose out. Cross bearing is an act of love. Number three, cross bearing is heart. Cross bearing is heart. 
And it's not hard to understand that people have always had trouble with that. Whenever the message of the cross has been preached, people have always objected to it. Wait a minute. That's hard. I can do that, they might say. And Jesus talked about his impending death on the cross, and his apostles hesitated. They were unwilling to accept the idea. They tried to keep him from going to Jerusalem, if you remember. They said, we don't want you to die, Lord. We don't want you to die. And when he did that on the cross, what did they do? They hid behind locked doors, fearful of what might happen next. That's what the apostles did. And a few years later, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. He said, Jesus, the man, Jews, the man, miracles and signs. Greeks looks for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that hasn't changed much, has it? It hasn't changed much. And we can understand the Jews stumbling over the idea of their Messiah hanging on a cross. They were an oppressed people. They have been oppressed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, the Greeks, and now by the Romans. But the one thing that kept them going through it all, it was that every night they will come together in their family circles and read again the promises of God for the Messiah. Fathers will tell their children, one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set us free. He will ride on a prancing stallion. He will be a magnificent, magnificent king with legions of soldiers behind him. And they will defeat our enemies, make them vow before us, and God's people will be in control. Then the Messiah came, but not as they had expected. He came as a carpenter, a preacher from Nazareth. Some call him a madman. His army was made out of 12 men, and instead of a great military victors, there was a crucifixion. So the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews, and it wasn't what they expected. And it wasn't what they wanted. It, it isn't what they wanted. We, we want to hear either, right? If we are honest, we don't want to hear it. Jesus talks about cross-bearing bother us as well. Right? As we lean, as we lean back in our easy chair with hot coffee in, in, in one hand and a loving companion on our side, on our side, rejoicing in our successes, we hear him say, take up your cross and follow me. He says, there's some lost sheep and I need a shepherd to find them and bring them home again. But we say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to bear that kind of cross. I have worked too hard, Lord, and I really need more time for myself. Sunday morning comes and he says, I have a classroom of squirming kids in the nursery in the classroom who need to hear the good news about Jesus. But we said, not me, Lord. I don't want to carry that kind of cross. So you see, Jesus is setting cross, crosses all around us, just waiting for us to pick up one. Someone says, missionaries need money to carry the gospel to the outermost parts of the world. And once again, we find ourselves wrestling with a cross. Over here are all the things that we want. And over there are the needs of the lost world. And the words of Jesus keep coming back and hunt us. If you are my disciple, if you are my disciple, if you are my disciple, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The idea of carrying a cross is a stumbling block, and we keep falling over and over and over again. But I wonder what kind of world this will be if we just had the courage to put that into practice, what Jesus has taught us. If we could turn the other cheek, if we can go the second mile, I really, I really, and really learn to love our enemies. I wonder what kind of world it will be. We're running out, frantically piecing together our lives, trying to build homes, stockpile possessions. But you know, one day, poof, 
It's all going to go away. It's all going to disappear and come for nothing. And the only thing that's going to last is the cross that we bore for our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, history is full of examples of people who gave in away, who gave their lives away, and gave eternal life. Some of you know the story that I'm about to tell you, but late in the fourth century, there was a Christian by the name of Telemachus. Some of you might, might know the story. And this man, Telemachus, he was a Christian man. He decided that the only way to protect himself from corruption in the world and to serve God was to, by becoming a hermit and living in a deserted area. And so he went away. He went into the desert, isolated. But one day, he was praying. And as he rose from his knees, it dawned upon him that if he wanted to serve God, that he must serve men. That by staying in the desert alone, he was not serving God. And that the cities were full of people who needed his help. So he bid farewell to the desert and set out for the greatest city in the world at that time, the city of Rome. Now, by this time, the terrible persecutions of the first three centuries were over. Christianity, in fact, had won. Christianity was now the official approved religion of the government empire. Even the emperor himself was a Christian, and so were most of the people. At least by name, they were Christians. If not, in fact, being a Christian, because being a Christian was the political correct thing to do back then, during this time, if you wanted to be in favor with the, the emperor. Anyway, Telemachus arrived in Rome at the day, uh, at a time when Estilico, Estilico was a general, general Roman um, uh, gen uh, Roman general, and he had gained a victory over the gods, a mighty victory. So to Estilico, there was granted a Roman triumph, processions, celebrations, and games at the Colosseum with the young, young Emperor Honorius by his side. Now, Christians were no longer thrown into the lions, but still those capturing war had to fight and kill each other to make a Roman holiday for the people. Still men roared with bloodlust as the gladiators fought. Telemachus found his way into the Colosseum. There were about 80,000 people there. The chariot races were just ending and there was now a tenseness in the crowd as the gladiators prepared to fight as they were coming out in the, into the arena and greeting, Hail Caesar, we who are about to die salute you. The fight was on, and Telemachus was appalled. Men for whom Christ had died were killing each other to amuse supposedly Christian population. So he jumped into the arena, and he stepped down between two gladiators, and for a moment they stopped fighting. Then, then you hear from the crowd, let the games, let the games go on. Let the games go on, and the, the crowd was roaring. And so the gladiators, they pushed the old man to the side, and he fell on the ground. And, but then he got up again, and once again, he got between the two gladiators. Now the commander of the games gave an order. A gladiator brought his, brought his sword and stabbed Telemachus, who laid down dead in the middle of the arena. Suddenly, the crowd was silent. They were shocked that a holy man should have been killed in such a way. Quite suddenly, there was a mass realization of what had been done, and the crowds began to leave the Colosseum. And historians tell us that the games of Rome ended abruptly that day to never begin again. Telemachus, by dying, had ended those games. Now, Givon, the great historian, wrote of his death, he was, in his death, he was more useful to mankind 
than his life. By losing his life, he had done more than he could have ever done by living in a life of lonely devotion out in the desert. So, Christian, this morning, we offer you a cross. Not a life of ease. Not a church that is perfect with all the solutions to your problems. We cannot guarantee you're going to have success in your job. And we cannot promise that your marriage is never going to fail. We can promise you that you'll stop having problems at home or in your life. All we really have to offer is Jesus Christ and his cross. What is your decision this morning? Will you accept his offer? Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you do, you're going to be able to say like Paul, for me to live is Christ. And to die this gain, I can do all things through Christ, which has strengthened me. And even if you are in a dark dungeon of your life, you will be able to sing praises to God because that cross will always keep you close to him who died for you. And there's no better place to be as we walk this earth than to be close to our Savior, taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following him. Let's pray. God Almighty, Father, we thank you for today, Father. I, I thank you, God, for, for your spirit, Lord. And I know, Lord, I'm not... I just pray, Lord, that the results will be left to you, Lord. I don't know where everyone is at right here, but I do know, Lord, that you have called us to take up a cross and follow you, Father. And uh, God, I know that there, there's a purpose for each one of us here. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work in each, each life, Father, here, represented, Lord, and those that are not here today as well, Father. Just bless us, and uh, Lord, be with us, Father. Help us not to forget what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Our brother Scott is going to come and lead us in a song.